bit. Kevin Spencer is going to join us at 10 o'clock. He was with Belichick in Cleveland in the 90s, and so that means he was also with Nick Saban in the 90s as well. So hopefully we'll talk to him about uh, Nick Saban. Also get you guys ready for this upcoming game against the Texans as well. We'll do it all. He's a great storyteller. Can't wait to have him on coming up in about 40 minutes or so right here on The Fan. You know, I, I, I asked Daryl what he was interested in, and I do feel like it's a little bit different. A uh, couple thoughts on, on if you like the Browns playing first on Saturday. Now, I'm already committed to doing CBS Sports Radio on Sunday night from 10 o'clock until 2, so please tune in. I promise you, unless something crazy elsewhere happens, and I don't project something absolutely crazy happening, it will be what I'm leading the show with at 10 o'clock. So you want to tune in 10 o'clock at night to 2 in the morning, please do Sunday night. I'll be talking all about the playoffs, every every nook and cranny of it, but I love when Cleveland people call into the national show. So please, g- give me a holler Sunday night. Don't know why I said holler, but hey, I said holler, here it is. I don't think I've said holler in like 12 years. It's been a very long time. It actually didn't feel bad coming out of my mouth. I don't know that I'm going to keep going back to it, though. If the Browns lose, I'm still in on football for the rest of the weekend, though. But for those of you that don't have to talk about football or even think about football for the rest of the weekend, you have the option of just sitting it out. Here's why I think Browns playing first is the best thing for Browns fans. If they lose, you can just forget football exists for the weekend and then come back for the following weekend and watch the divisional games into the games into the Super Bowl. I know we're all crazy football fans. And I know we bet on these games or we just like to enjoy watching these games. I get it. I understand. And there's a lot of intrigue at play. I mean, I think about what happens even after the Browns game is done. Then you're hit. Boom. There's McVeigh ver- or there's a uh, McVeigh and golf or McVay versus Goff, excuse me, one side of the coin, and the other side of the coin is Stafford versus former team in the Lions, and it's just there's a lot there intriguing uh, to the common football fan. Like, that's why they do it the way that they're doing it. It's awesome for the sport. There's no doubt about it. But you really can just say thanks but no thanks. You can take that pizza put right in front of you and say, you know what, I just, I'm not interested. I've had pizza for 18 straight weeks. I'm okay. I don't feel good about the pizza I just ate. I'm not doing any more of it. I meet a lot of people that tell me I have a cool job, and I agree. Sometimes it is great. More times than not, it's great. It's a dream job for me. But there are days when the Browns play poorly, and it'd be really nice to just not have to watch every game under the sun afterwards, and I could just sit in my feelings. Now, I've told you before, every Sunday is my favorite It's my favorite game of the year, right? I get 18 of my favorite games every year, and that is every Sunday. Some people prefer the Masters. Some people like the NBA Finals. Some people think the NHL Stanley Cup Finals are the greatest thing in sports. For me, I get the greatest thing in sports 18 Sundays every single week, week in, week out, and the playoffs truly are no exception to that. So maybe I need to count it out as like 21 or 22 great Sundays. I, I get it. I don't need the playoffs to enjoy NFL football top to bottom. And I watch more football than I would bet most people or 99% of the country. I mean, I I just, I watch every game. If it's on, if football's on, I'm watching that game. This is just how this works. Okay. And I know I'm a little, I'm a little over the top when it comes to it. It's what I like to do. This is my job. I, I don't begrudge you if you are an accountant, let's say, and you just love filing taxes and any chance you an opportunity you get, you're like, I'm just going to fill out my friend's taxes. I'm going to fill out my, bu- I don't care. I mean, it makes me better at my job and I like doing it. Same thing. Makes me better at my job and I love the hell out of doing it. It's great for me. But it would be nice every now and again to just say to myself, you know what? I'm going to wallow in this one. 
I'm going to sit back and I'm going to maybe just pretend football doesn't exist. And if the Browns lose on Sunday, that'll be the thinking that I want to have. I can't do it because I'm doing CBS Sports Radio. So I got to watch the game after. I got to get myself back up and watch all the games on Sunday. But there's going to be a part of me that will wish I could just, you know, close tab on the 2023 NFL season. Now, the reverse is true too, though. If we win that game, all I'm going to want to do is be addicted to football and football content for the next 48 hours. And then some. If they win this game, like I think that they will, that is the only thing that'll be on my mind. How much football can I consume? How many uh, radio shows can I listen to? How many press conferences can I consume? How long will I spend on my TikTok just scrolling through and then waiting to see uh, different updates across the NFL? I'll be gambling left and right. We'll be doing everything. Everything. And I love every second of it. I want to hear from you. 216-474-92. Do you like the Browns playing first on Saturday? Because I, I just... If they played on Monday, imagine trying to get work done if the Browns were the Monday night game. I told you guys I'm doing that that Sunday you know, 10 to 2 show on CBS Sports Radio. Imagine me doing that show, trying to get everyone excited, trying to get my thoughts out on what happened on Saturday and Sunday while waiting for the biggest Browns game in years to take place. That's going to be incredibly hard. If the Browns win and you get that chance first, your weekend is set and made. You have a full slate of NFL games to watch. You have rooting interest as well. And I know it's going to make some people mad, but I just got to be honest about it. It is what it is. If the Browns do win on Saturday, like I think they will, I'm going to be rooting for the Steelers because I need the Browns to not take on the Ravens in the second round. Excuse me. That's my call from last week popping in. I need the Browns to beat any team that is in Baltimore in the second round because Baltimore scares me the most. I need him to face any team that is in Baltimore in the second round. Only way that happens, Steelers and Dolphins win. So I, I will become the biggest Dolphins fan. I'll become the biggest Steelers fan, even if it makes me want to vomit for that game. Because I don't think it's going to happen anyway. Uh, what I root for from my couch has no impact on the games. But in that moment, I think I have to. I'm rooting for the path that has me avoiding Baltimore for another week. So that means I'd have to root for the Steelers in a game where I don't think the Steelers have a chance of winning. So be it. Then it is what it is. All right. Had to get that off my chest. We got uh, a lot more coming for you guys. Kevin Spencer Spencer joining us coming up at 10 o'clock. He worked with uh, Saban while working under Belichick here in Cleveland. And I, I just, with the news of Nick Saban retiring, I'm wondering if it's because college football is changing too much or whether it was just time. College football is losing itself, in my opinion. I think this is the final straw for him realizing that the game has changed. He hates modern college football, since every coach does. This is what happened in college hoops as well. Coach K retired. Roy Williams retired. Bayheim stepped away. Jay Wright stepped away. It all happened very quickly. Look around college basketball right now. Where are all the big dogs? Where are all the people that are supposed to be the contemporaries for the old guard? Where are the people that have won national titles that made the sport what the sport is? They're all gone. They're replaced by guys like John Shire. Shout out John Shire, one of the best high school basketball players I've ever seen. I grew up in Chicago in the time of John Shire, and it was John Shire versus Derrick Rose against my high school often. And uh, John Shire, not not that I, I didn't go to Derrick Rose's school. He went to a Simeon different school. But like Derrick Rose would come here, and then John Shire would come here. We were more scared of, De- of uh, John Shire than we were Derrick Rose. And everyone knew who Derrick Ro- Rose was. Pat Beverly was playing Chicago hoops at that time. Anthony Davis playing Chicago hoops at that time. Nobody was scared of those guys. Not in the slightest bit. It was John Shire. He was incredible. Now he's the head coach at Duke, and... You're looking around and you're like, there's a, there's a million different John Shires. 
guys that have replaced Beheim, guys that have replaced Coach K, Roy Williams, all these type of guys, and the sport lost something. But the reason why college basketball went that way is the same reason why college football is going that way as well. The art of recruiting has changed. That edge you used to have in recruiting has gone away. Their advantage has been minimized in the NIL era. What they worked hard to be great at got taken away. Being an awesome recruiter in college football is like being a great blockbuster employee. You're awesome at knowing the right movie to suggest to someone, exactly where to find in the store in five seconds. How's that skill working out for you now? Recruiting stopped becoming an edge in college football. It started becoming a checkbook and a dollar amount. You choose your schools the same way you choose your car insurance company. It's not based on anything more than who will give me the best price. Every place will get me the same traditions. You're going to get me the same school spirit. You're going to get me the same frat house parties. You're going to get me the same path to the pros, everything. Colleges these days have never seemed more like a copy and paste. I know it sucks for people that went to big schools. I didn't go to a big time school. I went to a school called Lindenwood University. I was on a bowling scholarship. It's just outside of St. Charles or just outside of St. Louis, Missouri in St. Charles, Missouri. I didn't go to a big school. So maybe there's some big school hate attached to this, but I, I went and partied at a lot of different schools. You can copy and paste all of them. They all got the same four loco. They all got the same uh, different type of drinks, different type of, I can find a sorority uh, that is, is one type of sorority at uh, Alabama the same way. They're another type of sorority at Ole Miss, okay? They're all, it's all the same thing. There's nothing truly unique about college football. It's different, it's different traditions, but these colleges these days, they're all the same. The difference that you really find out at this point in college football is the amount of money that you're going to back up at these young kids' doorsteps. That's what's changed. And I think a guy like Nick Saban is just exhausted and tired of trying to compete with Kirby Smart, a guy that he created in his own right, and he's not going to be able to win that battle. I think that's what honestly broke Nick Saban. He can't beat Georgia anymore, and he can't win the recruiting battles the way that he used to because he spends four years trying to recruit a kid, and then that kid gets upset and transfers after one season because they're not making enough money. Think about how incredibly infuriating that would be. And I, I side with the players. I always have in this discussion. I am pro player, as pro player as it gets in the college football landscape. I want them to make that money. There's no doubt about that. But for a guy like Nick Saban, the way the college football landscape is gone, no shock to me that he retired. No shock. He didn't want to deal with it. He didn't want to deal with the recruiting aspect of it all. He didn't want to deal with the fact that he can recruit a kid for four years, know him since he was a teenager, then finally get the chance for him to come play, and then lose out because the bag wasn't big enough. That can't be the answer. Nick Saban understood he was losing these battles to Miami. He's losing some of these recruiting wars to Texas A&M. He's, he's losing it to these places that he was never losing to before, but the idea that you won a national title and you're Nick Saban and you won six at Alabama and you have seven total national titles, he couldn't step into a kid's room and say, hey, do you want to give me number seven at Alabama, number eight overall? And the kid's jaw would drop. He couldn't do that tactic that he used to talk about where he would just lay his championship rings on the table right in front of the dad, and the mom, and the player and be like, you want one of these? These look pretty cool, don't they? Come play for me and I'll get you one of these. He couldn't do that tactic anymore because that tactic was overtaken by the almighty dollar. 
That tactic was overtaken by people following the green brick road. And I don't begrudge the players, but it's the reality. And Nick Saban decided, rightfully so today, that reality wasn't a reality he wanted to live in. I remember watching a Belichick-Saban documentary a couple years ago that HBO had. I was convinced neither one of them would ever step away from football. Now, with Belichick, that still might be true. He might land on his feet somewhere else. He might uh, relinquish some of the power he had in New England, and he might make out all right. But when it comes to Nick Saban, Nick Saban didn't have the NFL to go to. The NFL is still what the NFL was 20 years ago when it comes to guys making money, guys changing teams, guys being mad with their agents and all that. That's still all the same. Belichick has no new problems on his hands. Saban's world, 15 years ago to now, night and day. Absolute night and day. 2-1-6-4-7-4 to below 92. It might sound old man, get off my lawn, but I just, I don't love the direction college football is going. And I, I think that it's kicking guys like Nick Saban to the curb in the process. Is it because college football is changing too much or was it just time for Nick Saban to step aside? 2-1-6-4-7-4 to below 92. Kevin Spencer with the latest on the Browns as well. He'll join us coming up at 10. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on the fan. We're going to talk to Kevin Spencer. He was a special teams coach of the year. He won a Super Bowl with the Steelers. And he also coached for a guy by the name of Bill Belichick, you know, in the 90s with the Browns. And because of that, that means he also coached with Nick Saban as well while Saban was with the Browns. So we're going to ask Kevin all about that time and that experience and everything. And we'll also get his thoughts on the Browns' upcoming matchup with the Texans that uh, you obviously have a lot to say uh, throughout the rest of this show and then through the rest of the week, and we've already had a ton to say on that one. Odyssey Rewind, if you want to go back for tonight at least, 8 o'clock hour, we did a lot on the game, a lot on the matchup, a lot of what it would mean. Odyssey Rewind, go back and listen to that. Daryl Ryder joined us at 9 o'clock. You can always go back, Odyssey Rewind, and listen to our Browns Insider right there as well. Again, Kevin Spencer joining us in about 20 minutes. But I'm asking you guys, 216474 to below 92, Nick Saban's retiring, and is it because college football is changing too much, or was it just time? About three weeks ago or so, when I was getting ready to do a national show, I wrote down Saban done after this year. I I do notes in my phone. That's how I kind of keep track of some things for some topics before I then flesh it all out and then, you know, expand on it. But before the show, 24 hours before the show, I'm getting a rolling tab. If it's a national show... You can start as early as 72 hours prior, just a a, a section in my notes pad. And I put down different ideas, different thoughts and different things like that. And then by the time I get ready to sit down and prep, it just makes life easier for me. Right. And I I remember sitting down a few weeks ago and I was doing this national show and and it's really a lot of topics so that when I get ready to actually do the show, I can kind of pick and choose and I don't have to sit there being like, what was that I wanted to talk about? Like an idiot, you know, I I can like, and I'll do this for local shows too. they, They start. It starts as as soon as midnight tonight, I'll start for the show tomorrow. And hell, during these shows sometimes, I'll be doing things for tomorrow's show if I feel like I can't fit it in, but it's a good thought and I want to save it. Like It's always, it's a plan ahead game, okay, is the point. And I was sitting there and I wrote down this idea about, hey, let's do a topic about Nick Saban if he retires. And what's funny is that, at least funny to me, when I got close to actually doing the show I looked down at the topic and it already been 24 hours since I wrote it down and there's 75 million thoughts already there. And I said to myself, I said, no one's going to buy this topic. Like, Think about it for a second. No one's going to buy this topic. I like to be early to the party. I feel like I, as far as a sports radio host is concerned, 
There's a couple things. I am sometimes laughably wrong. I am sometimes so dead on correct that it would blow your mind. Most of my takes, though, I feel like from my perspective, maybe not most, but I think more than most, more than most relative to other people, I'm early to the party. Typically, I'm early to the party. If I tell you something is going to happen, you might think it sounds crazy, and then three months from now, it actually then does happen, and you've forgotten that I've said the whole entire thing. I typically am early to the party, and it just depends on whether or not I bang that drum for three months until it happens, six months until it happens, whatever it may be. I typically, as a sports radio host, I am pretty early, and that's okay, that's fine. And and I I thought about this one, and I'm like, even for me, I'm too early to the Nick Saban is retiring discussion. But in my mind, I was thinking about a couple different things. And I was thinking about what happened in college hoops where Coach K retires, uh, Roy Williams retires, Bayheim retires, Jay Wright retires, and, and that landscape where in college football or college basketball, they all looked around collectively and they just said, uncle. They just said, we can't do it. Whether it's because of age, whether it's because of NIL, whatever it was, all of the big dogs, so to speak, looked around and said, no, we're done. All the, the legacy coaches just couldn't do it anymore. And I kept thinking about Saban. Now, there's a part of me that believed that Saban was going to coach until he died. It, it wouldn't have surprised me if they had to roll the casket out at midfield uh, halftime of a game and be like, all right, Nick, uh, put your one foot in because you're basically already there. This is just, we'll just, we'll make this easy on everybody. We got 100,000 people here. We can start the services. We can get this thing going. I just, it's kind of how I thought it would go because I just, Nick has just always been, Saban has just always felt like to me such a football guy's football guy that it didn't feel like he was ever going to leave. And and I thought about this with, with Terry Francona. I remember talking to, um, Oh, why is her name? Amy Lawrence. Her name was escaping me for a second. And I remember talking to Amy Lawrence. This was off the air, just in general, having a conversation with Amy. And she's like, so what's going on with Tito? And this was months, months prior to him announcing his retirement. And I, I, I said, I, I listen, I know I know there's some rumblings. I know people are talking about it, but I, I, I don't think the guy's going anywhere. And I was wrong, obviously. I was dead wrong, uh, laughably wrong in hindsight. But I, I said I didn't think he was going anywhere because I just think he's a foot, he's just a baseball guy. He's just a baseball's guy, baseball guy. Like he just he just loves it so much. I can't envision. I know he's got health problems. I couldn't envision him stepping away. And Nick Saban kind of gave me that same vibe as well. Now there are reasons though, and I feel like I'm staunch in these. And I feel like here's where we got to a point where Nick Saban decided that enough was enough. The game had changed too much for him, and the NIL world had become too much for Nick Saban. The NIL world where you are competing with dollar amounts instead of rings became too much for Nick Saban. And that's a fair thing for Nick Saban to come to that realization on. When when putting your rings down on the table and saying, come play for me and I'll win you one of these, as he lays out his seven national titles, used to be the trick. And then it turned out that all these kids these days, instead of uh, how many titles can you win me, how many zeros can you put on the end of that dollar amount you just gave to me, When that became the true question, I felt like it was time for Nick Saban to go, and I feel like that's how Nick got there. I do think it matters that Georgia's the bell of the SEC ball. I think that's part of the equation. I think he enjoyed beating them in the SEC title game, where now he can kind of really ride off into the sunset. But Saban is balancing out being 72 years old and having a chance to play Augusta National as many times as he wants in a given year versus going on recruiting trails pounding the pavement, trying to get players 
that will eventually, after you spend three years of work trying to get him to join your team, leaves in one season because they're mad they're not getting enough playoff time. I mean, I've always given Saban credit. He adapts in college football. He always has. He always He's always been very good at that. Think about it. For years, Greg McElroy and uh, Mr. Catherine Webb were the the two quarterbacks at Alabama where you're like, what? That's what we're, that's what they're, A.J. McCarron is who they're throwing out there now? Okay, fine. If that's what they have to do. Alabama didn't have quarterbacks for years. They just didn't have a quarterback. They had a great run game, great wide receivers, great defensive, offensive line, amazing defense. They didn't have good quarterbacks. And then you fast forward, and as recently as a couple years ago, you had a situation where in a national title game, Nick Saban was benching Jalen Hurts for Tua Tunga Viola, two of the best the NFL game has to offer now. Like he changed, he adapted, but this felt like to me, he couldn't adapt anymore. He was he was done. He'd done his time. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. Dan up next on the fan. What's up, Dan? Hey, Peter. It's a pleasure to speak with you. I've heard you for a long time. My first time calling in for your show. Congratulations. Good job, man. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you. What's on your mind tonight? All right. So what's on my mind? Uh, I have to agree with you. This time. Nick Saban, the environment has changed too much for him. It used to be, again, on the principles thing about, uh, you know, you can always get sponsors, you can always get a little bit of money, but it was never about the money before. But now in this time, it's not just, oh, you get to come play for me for Alabama. Mm -hmm. It's, okay, how much money are you going to pay me? That's that's the first and most important question, yeah. I can go over to Nebraska, I can go to Ohio State, I can go insert place here. So when you have been spending your life up on that, uh, that principle of you're a student-athlete, we're going to take you somewhere, we're going to get you into the NFL, and we're going to give you a career, now it's my career starts now, how much can you pay me? It's, it's just so different, I'm not going to be surprised if he's but the first of some big dominoes to fall for other coaches. But we'll see. Oh, for sure. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate you. I do. Uh, 100% right. And, and look around, too. It's not like he's got a bunch of contemporaries around the college football landscape right now as it is. Like people that have been there, you know, 72 years old, won titles, and can hang, you know, basically with what I believe to be the greatest college football coach of all time. It's not like there's a bunch of them right now at this point. I just I look at him, you know, in the wire, Omar says the game is the game, right? But the game has changed. They're no longer playing the same game they once were. It happens in every industry. It's how you adapt with it. I mentioned the quarterback thing with Saban. He adapted that time. I just don't think he wants to adapt anymore. I, I think he's just said too much is too much. Two one six four seven four double O ninety two. Larry in Illyria up next on the fan. What's up, Larry? Hey, how's it going, Jonathan? I yeah, you hit the nail on the head to NIO. It, it's one two, Jonathan. Is Miami University one of the largest universities that has NIL, NIL money out right now? Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, as far as what we know, now they had they were early to the party though because the NIL boosters were they got on the they got on that idea quicker than just about anybody. That collective they had down there and it's spearheaded by a guy worth billions. Uh, they were on it early. Yes, they were. Yeah, that, that was a big difference here with them. Um, but the Guardian, Jonathan, I, you're a Guardians fan. Um, God, it's hard to. You see what they did this year, Jonathan, what they spent this year? $4 million in free agency, that's it. 
And that's all to Austin Hedges, right? (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be, geez, how how do you find a ticket season hoard to promote, to come to the games? How are you supposed to, you know, do that? Um, John, about the new ownership now, Mr. Blazer, is he supposed to take full ownership here shortly? Or what's the deal with him? I thought he was going to be investing more money. I think the idea the, uh, the idea was, and thank you, Larry, I appreciate you. If I have it correct, the idea was is that it was within five years, and then they were going to kind of basically rehash some of those conversations. Uh, I don't think the actual plan is a complete takeover. I think at first it was, and now I'm not as positive about that. They've been kind of – it's been kind of hush-hush as far as I know. I'll do some research in between the break, though, uh, because I haven't thought about that in a very, very long time. I, I Mainly because I don't know that the difference between – uh, Blazer and what you currently have in the Dolans, I think it'll be a difference. I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference. They got a billionaire that didn't get Mark Cuban. You know, they got a billionaire that didn't get somebody with unlimited cash cash flow. They got somebody that's going to run it like a business the way he's ran the other four sports entities that he owns. But that's not here nor there. That's a different conversation for a different time. The reason why I brought up the Guardians is because I brought up Terry Francona in relation to this Nick Saban argument. And I do feel like there is... With that, I think that was a little bit different. But it falls under the same umbrella of coaches that you felt like were going to be around forever. Coaches that you just thought were never going to be able to pry and get themselves pried away from the sidelines, from the booth, from the, and from any part of it. Any, anything you want to say. And uh, whether it was Saban or it was the dugout with Terry Francona, I didn't think either one of them would be gone. I thought, I thought both of them just loved it too much. And there was just no way they were going to ever be taken away from their respective coaching positions in any sort, even if it's under their own power, which it has been in both instances, it just didn't feel like it. But uh, boy, boy, does it come fast. And and for very different reasons for the two of them. Very different reasons. For Saban, I genuinely do believe this was just the straw that broke the camel's back as he looks around the college football landscape. He sees the he sees the format going to 12 teams. He sees the, the recruiting not really being recruiting anymore. It's more just who can throw the most money at anybody. And I think he just said the time is now to get out. He beat Georgia in the SEC title game. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen anytime soon again. Now is the time to get out. You go out a little bit on top playing in a college football playoff. One of the last ones and the last one where it's a final four for a playoff. All right, leave that there. We come on back. A guy that coached with Saban, with the Browns in the 90s under Belichick, Kevin Spencer, won a Super Bowl with the Steelers. We'll be joined by him when we come on back, and we'll get his thoughts on uh, not only uh, some Saban stories, but also what he thinks about the Browns as they take out the Texans on Saturday. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterman here with you on The Fan.